Hey guys, welcome to episode 69 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. To get instant access to almost 20 hours of world-class online video strength and conditioning information, go to upmentorship.com and help support the show. This episode's guest is strength coach James Hanley. James is a very good friend of mine. He's the founder and owner of Revolution Fitness here in Dublin, Ireland. Refit currently has two locations on Dublin's north side in Drumcondra and Glasnevin, where it has a thriving membership. James is also a very accomplished powerlifter with over a decade's experience under the bar. On this episode, me and James discuss many topics, including James's background and influence, problems that James sees within the fitness and training profession, James's training philosophy, we also discussed some powerlifting training and some tips for people looking to increase their lifts, so people looking to increase their squat, bench and deadlift. We also discussed the biggest things that James has learned in his career so far. We also discussed James's recently released Alpha Blueprint training system. We also discussed James's advice to everybody listening and also some of his top resources and there was so much more discussed throughout this show. So I hope you guys really enjoy the show. Okay, Mr. James Hanley, it is an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on my show. Uh, we've been, this has been in the pipeline for a while, but it's really great to, to have you on. So just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, just fit us in, James. Uh, well, thanks for having me, Robbie. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to be here with some of the like, world-famous names you've had on. I feel, uh, I feel like a nobody right now. But, <laughs> but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that at all. Here's just nobody's story. Um, Basically, my name is James Hanley. I have a couple of gyms, Revolution Fitness in uh, Dublin, Ireland. And my background is powerlifting. I played soccer and Gaelic at okay levels all the way through my youth and ended up kind of finding my way into powerlifting after a run of injuries when I was about 17 or 18 years old. Uh, spent, you know, four or five years training pretty hard for the sport. Did all right. Like, I mean, decent enough numbers. Um, and somehow ended up going to college to study accounting. Um, ended up spending four years in college, three and a half years working in training and audit. And I kind of realized quite rapidly it wasn't where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was always very passionate about training. I was always super passionate about helping people. And when I got to the end of my training contract, the natural thing to have happened seemed to be to go into coaching on some level. Um, went in without a plan just kind of went for a ready fire aim approach and you know two and a half three years later I've got a couple of gyms I've trained a decent whack of people and gotten some pretty good results what made you go into accountancy uh I don't know I'm gonna blame it on my parents like it was just it seemed to be a pretty good career option coming out of school because I didn't really know what I wanted to do I was never particularly motivated to study any science subjects so that meant sports science was off the table yeah. and I'd always be pretty good at business I knew I wanted to have my own business at some stage didn't know what I wanted to do though so it seemed like a, a decent grounding to have in the back pocket um, for later on in life yeah yeah in in terms of, of powerlifting how did you get into that um, powerlifting was a strange one I managed to dislocate one of my shoulders about 15 times to the point where I was playing air hockey in an arcade in Wexford and when I went to hit the puck my shoulder popped out oh, that's, um, that's bad so, so you can imagine this scenario like me playing air hockey and then all of a sudden going down like somebody just shot me <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was kind of at that point I realised, you know, contact sport is probably out. I went off with the shoulder operated on and just kind of, just uh, the doctor recommended, you know, get stronger. So I went, okay, I'll get stronger. Um, one thing led to another. I can be pretty obsessive when I get involved in stuff. And, you know, I just ended up linking with some really good guys. I had, I had a friend who had a mutual friend whose dad was a national powerlifting champion at the time, uh, Dave Smith. So myself and his son, Jerry, just started training away in Hercules. And next thing you know, three, four years later, we're, we're up there as the top, top ranked juniors in Ireland. Wow, yeah, like it's, it's, it's a bit of, well, I don't know if the word is luck, but like, I always look back when I was younger thinking, God, I would have loved if someone took me aside and said, no, you're going to learn how to squat bench, do an overhead press and pull-ups. And, but, you know, most most of us learn machines and bodybuilding and stuff. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's not the... That's not to shit on bodybuilding. I'm talking about like just machine bodybuilding stuff. You know what I mean? But because when I take the young guys in the gym now in the Fina, like in their 15, 16, and I'm there like teaching them how to deadlift and squat and bench properly, and I'm just like, oh god, I wish I had me when I was your age. <laughs> yeah, hundred so, uh, percent. Yeah, so uh, it's 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 good. Like it's it's kind of it's refreshing to hear that like you had a kind of a good start from the get go, and it, it reflects obviously now because you're so strong. Yeah, like looking back, I mean, I think of all, like you said, the kind of fortunate or lucky coincidences that happened. Like even even before that, like um, myself and Dave McKay were training in the Iron Gym yeah. down off um, Grace Park Road, and like it's not the world's best gym, you know. They have dumbbells up to maybe twenty kilos and a squat rack and a bench, but they had a guy who'd come in every now and again, um, Aiden, who is actually still in Dublin. That would help write programs for the younger members, you know, he was a bodybuilder at the time, but a really good awareness of what he was doing. And yeah. like I remember being 16, 17 years old, doing squats, doing stiff leg deadlifts, you know, doing kind of all the proper movements. Yeah. So that when I did, then did go and do powerlifting, you know, it was the natural transition on from there. Yeah, because it was just second nature. Like you, it was like, oh, this is the way I always trained. Whereas, you, you know, yourself, you usually get those clients, and they've never done any of the big movements, and it's kind of like, you know, it's it's completely foreign to them. It's so funny though, as well, when you when you when you kind of get those clients too, you know, because yeah. we're, we're we're so used to seeing them too. You know, the guys all they've ever done is the squat curls and, and some crunches, and then we're there trying to teach them how to squat and deadlift, and they're like, oh, this is my, uh, you know, they're like, you know, in, in their in our heads, they're like, yes, that's your posterior chain. <laughs> say say hello to it. Yeah, it's like that's gonna hurt tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if I was to ask you, James. Your biggest influences, and I always ask this as a two-pronged question. So, your biggest influences on you as a coach, and then on you as a person. Oof. And that, 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 that's the, usually the, the response I always get. Haven't listened to most of your podcasts. I really should have prepared something in advance for this. So basically, I'm just buying time to stall and think of something. Um, for myself as a coach, um. It's a really tough one to say. I'd say probably the guys I trained with back in the day during powerlifting. Yeah, yeah. Mostly because, you know, every session became a training session or every every session became a coaching session because you're constantly looking for the little tweaks that will help somebody. Um, and even more so than that, it was equipped powerlifting over raw powerlifting that probably taught me more about coaching than anything. Because, like... I'm sure some of your listeners have a familiarity with bench shirts and squat suits and stuff like that. Um, but if you're even an inch off or you put yourself in slightly the wrong position with that equipment on, 
everything goes wrong really fast. Yeah. So you learn very quickly to have a very fine eye for like positional strength and positional awareness in other lifters and how to coach them into that position. So I think it was just, you know, spending two, three hours a day, four or five days a week in the gym, watching other people train and training with other people that probably gave me the biggest appreciation for coaching. Um, on a personal level, man, that's, I really, I don't think I could name one person. I think in recent years, like, I definitely got to credit Sarah for giving me a better, a better idea on how to approach life the right way. Just mm-hmm. stuff like taking stock of your success, of being thankful for things and, you know, not just bashing yourself to the ground day after day and, and never really stopping to realize how lucky you are and how much good stuff you've done. I mean, you know, three years ago, I couldn't imagine I'd be sitting on the same podcast with, with you and some of the top name guys in America. So just even something simple like this, something I'll sit down tonight with and go, you know, I'm really thankful this happened. Yeah. And it's just been, been taking appreciation for stuff like that it's made a huge difference in my life. Yeah, recently, uh, now I've always done this more sort of mentally, but recently I'm actually doing it writing in my journal is just you know what are you grateful for today and just write down one to three things and uh just for the listeners like um james talking about his girlfriend sarah who runs a a project called the better life project so you maybe want to just touch on that and what sarah's doing there yeah for sure um so the better life project kind of it just it, it came about one day because sarah's done a lot of life coaching stuff she's a decently strong girl like she has a 130 plus back squat at 75 kilos and she's probably out squatting most of the guys who I train, so that tells you a lot about her strength level. So she's a really she's a really good appreciation for training. She's a really good appreciation for nutrition and how it makes you feel. Mm. And then the kind of the thing that linked it together then was she really studied and learned a lot about the mental side of things too. And you know, we were just talking about how if you could knit all three of those together, you'd have you know a better life. And I remember just going, well, imagine something like the Better Life Project where you take mindset, you take nutrition, you take training, and you knit it all into some sort of coaching service that helps people be happier. So the whole thing with the Better Life Project is uh, we just want to help you create a life you don't need a holiday from. Mm. That's, so, that, that, that catchphrase, is, it should be a t-shirt, create, yeah. create a life you don't need a holiday from. Because it, 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 so many people are just caught in that sort of lifestyle, you know, work five days to earn two off. Yeah, it's like I'm living for the weekend. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you guys want to find out more about it, you can go on to the better like, project.ie. Um, and it's a pretty badass website with me flexing hard in it. So. <laughs> you know? And we'll, 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 link, we'll link that into the show notes as well. Yeah, that's so. perfect. Yeah, um, great. But yeah, like, the simple thing, like, just having a gratitude journal. Um, things you're thankful for, things you're happy, things that are happy, you're happy you had happen today, um, and even like something simpler, like having some sort of model to set goals and achieve goals. You know, next next weekend, no, it's seventh of February. We're doing a thing, um, a lifestyle design workshop that basically is going to help people dig into, you know, their motivations, what motivates them, what makes them happy, and what's what can they improve right now to make their life better because. You know, most people don't get happier by buying more things. They get happier by experiencing more things. Yeah. So it's trips and events over cars and watches. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. And it's just, you know, mostly about helping them identify how, you know, the 
motivation story they keep telling themselves about when I have X I'll be happy or when I achieve Y I'll be happy isn't actually true you know yeah and like when, when we actually verbalize those feelings we're like that's so true because just even you saying there like an experience over a material thing like I get so much more um I get so much more out of having conversations like this with my friends like so like when I ever leave like let's say if I'm over in Black Rock with Jay or Joey or, or if I'm with you in your place or, or if you're over there with the guys too, like I feel so invigorated for the rest of the day or the day after because just that experience and the energy and being around people that kind of just, you know, they're, I, don't, I don't necessarily like to say like-minded because I don't mean, you, don't, you know, you shouldn't always be around like-minded people because you need to obviously read uh, antagonistic views to your beliefs to grow as a person too, but just being around kind of that culture of kind of people who want to, you know have similar sort of aspirations of you know gaining like those kind of things of having an experience and who are driven as well and but that's sorry i'm i'm, I'm rambling here but what i'm trying to say is that i agree with that concept of you know, experience over a material thing like yeah. you know like i get so like having a stimulating conversation like we're having right now like those things i appreciate those sort of experiences yeah for sure like i mean i'd much rather go to bali next month and buy a new car today yeah, exactly. Because like a car is a car. Once you have it, you have it. Um, that's one of the really interesting things about like hedonic adaptation. I don't know if you've ever seen anything around it or not. But you know, after whatever three or four weeks, the new thing you have no longer actually makes you happy anymore. It's just another thing in your life. It's kind of funny. It's the same with training. I'll see how three or four weeks you adapt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You just get so used to having something around, like. Let's say freaking the new TV you bought that was so awesome a month ago. You're like, oh, yeah. I guess yeah. I'll just watch TV. You don't really appreciate it anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and if you've constantly got new experiences coming into your life, you're more likely to kind of appreciate the value they bring because you're new and stimulating rather than, you know, an old piece of technology that you don't care about. Yeah, big time. And just, you know, we were speaking about uh, gratitude there. I think one great thing about gratitude is that it shines a much more positive life on what what we assume or what we perceive to be negative things at the time so like you know if like say for now for instance a simple thing like if my stomach is a little bit at me i'm all like you know before you're like oh my stomach's at me but now you're like no no it's my body's teaching me something you know it's telling me to listen to what did i eat earlier on today and stuff like that you know and i also kind of think from you on facebook where you're kind of like you know my, my phone bust and my my you know my electricity and my internet went but like i know i know you personally obviously and i, I know in the back of your head you're kind of like i, I could get this vision of you like where, when your phone is sore and your internet's back you're kind of like you know what it wasn't that bad you know yeah. it's, it's not a big deal like life goes on because I, I think another post you from one day i found it really good it was, i was laughing it was really funny but it was really true at the same time you were like i'm having a white person day today and you were like, play me a, play me a, a fiddle. Do you know what I mean? And, you're, and your, your point was that, come on, everyone who's on Facebook has no fucking real problems. You're on Facebook. You have internet. Like, well, that's it. Like, I mean, I was sitting with my feet up in my beautiful apartment, having just had dinner, and like my phone broke and our heating went off. Yeah. Like, oh, well, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just simple. Like, man, to be honest, it's so frustrating to see people who have so many good things going on in their life but all they can see is the negative and when you do get into that negative all you ever see is negatives and until you break that cycle you you're just not going to be a happy person yeah whatever you've done there your audio got much better so stay there just here yeah okay sweet ass uh, we just move on with the with the next question because we, we could just stay talking about it's like that stuff forever yeah 
in in terms of problems you see within the whole fitness industry, you know, what would you what would you say that? And, and not only maybe not only maybe name a problem, but maybe give your solution to it. Uh, right. I think there's. I think I think all the problems kind of stem from the same issue, and I think the issue is the low barrier to entry. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's just sorry, Jeremy. It's funny you say that because I've done about seven or eight interviews over the last week or ten days, and that's been one of the top ones that the fitness professionals have come back with. Like, it's really hard to to get a baseline on it because, like, I know it's a little bit different in the states, but in Ireland, it's probably not reasonable to expect everyone to have a university degree before they become a qualified trainer. Yeah, maybe that would be for the best, but you know, if that was the case, I probably wouldn't be in the industry. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think. The problem is like a low barrier to entry, and that's not to say we need to make it harder. We just need to educate people and have people realize that when they are finished their primary training course, they've only just learned what they don't know. They don't have all the answers. Mm. All they have now is kind of it's somewhere to ask questions from. Yes, that they've an awareness of what they kind of should know, even if they don't know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It, it's yeah. Because I remember I was asked that question too at a. It was with the ICI. We did some workshop last year in UCD, and that kind of topic came up. And you know, just as you said there, like I mean, I have no deg- degree, and I'm hoping to go back. Not I say go back. I've never been hoping to go to college to get a degree, but I I, I wouldn't be in the field if I need a degree now. But I do agree that that there does need to be more formal e- or more education. But I I think that the barrier to get into that education shouldn't necessarily you know like be very very hard to get into if you know what I mean but I, I think there should be a longer process or a, a, definitely a not a harder but definitely a more structured process that people have to go through but everyone should be allowed to do it if they want to do it if that makes sense so like you know if, if like if you want to if let's say if everyone had to get a degree before they could become a personal trainer or coach they should just be allowed to go do the degree but like they, yeah. should, they still have to go through the, instead of being like no you need 600 points well it won't be that but you need 450 points and you're leaving cert and then you can't get the degree but you really want to get into fitness and do you know what I mean so it's kind of a two pronged approach in that like I think people should have access to what they want to study but they should have some sort of you know very structured sort of course maybe not very structured but they should they should have some formal training that they do need to do to show as you said like basic sort of um, just a competency yeah competency is the word I'm thinking of basic competency and again as you said that's not to say that they're going to know everything it's just to set that foundation yeah it's just that they can walk out of their training course and go okay I'm not going to hurt somebody yeah and like that's the great thing that, that we're doing at Elite like we're having decent people come out and good quality trainers come out and most of them come out going oh you know what I didn't realise there was all of this stuff I didn't know and a lot of them then will go on and do further study on it but look I mean it's it's the same as what do you call the guy who came last in his class in med school yeah. like you call him doctor he may not be the best doctor but hopefully he's displayed a basic level of competency that will allow him to not hurt anyone exactly yeah exactly and um, as for how to correct it I don't really know like you kind of touched on it maybe there needs to be some sort of ongoing CPD requirement mm. or maybe some objective review panel or some way of kind of proving you have a basic competency and knowledge in it but even with that it's it's so hard to define what competency and knowledge is because you can be so well book read you can know everything you can recite everything but you can get in front of a person and just be a complete and utter social reject and not be able to talk to somebody not be able to relate to them not be able to you know help them out with their life because that's ultimately what 
training is about exactly. and being able to relate to people and kind of get on board with where they are and help them see a way from you know the habits they have now to having better habits to support a healthier lifestyle and the question that always always uh, revolves in my head when it comes to courses or even whether it's degree or anything like that but particularly when it comes to like you know the the training courses in terms of personal training and strength conditioning is who's going to decide what's the criteria on the course like who's to decide that this is what should be these, these are the topics that will be taught because these are important do you know what i mean and do, do, do you know what i mean because you know you, you've you've done basic personal training courses and like some of the information on it is like that's awful you know what i mean yeah so like i'm always like you know it's kind of like who guard you know it's like adam watts you say who guards the guards yeah you know who, who actually is gonna like who decides that this is the material everyone should be taught like you'd kind of love to have this model where kind of it's an ongoing dynamic where like any ideas are like there's it's kind of it's like a structured chaos model if you will there's structure to it the basic principles of training are there but it's still not like a dogmatic you know the nutrition's the food pyramid and you know for the for the for the resistance training as they call it is you have to warm up on the treadmill at such yeah. and such a heart you know that kind of stuff that bullshit so it's that's just me probably being a more of a purist though at heart but yeah, it's. I definitely agree. Like, I mean, if you were to reverse the question, ask me, I would have said it, it is this kind of low barrier to entry because if we ever want to be as respected as doctor, as respected as much as doctors or physios, even, like we're we're gonna need to step up our uh, entry into the field. Yeah, for sure. Like the thing, I think just examining stuff on merit and seeing, you know, the actual real world impact it has is definitely the way to go when it comes to actually assessing requirements. But like you said, I mean, if somebody if somebody's put in charge of, you know, setting out criteria, that person's going to come in with their own biases, they're going to come in with their own experience and their own history, mm. and then who's to say their approach is going to be, you know, the right one, yeah. or the best one? Because the biggest problem, I think, with a lot of the courses, and this goes for, like, the sports science degrees and the personal training certs, is a lot of the, the, a lot of the information being taught are being taught by people who aren't training anyone. Yeah. and I think that's definitely what makes Elite so good I mean we're really selling Elite here uh, know, right? uh, so for people that don't know that uh, for, for our Irish people or even UK people that's Elite Fitness and Performance in Blackrock in Dublin they run a personal training cert and to be honest it's the only one I recommend to anyone um, and yes like my friends are heavily involved in it, but that's because I know that they're brilliant and James tutors for it and used to, used to do a lot more but you just do one or two courses for him now the powerlifting and Olympic lifting is that right? yeah that's correct so um, but uh but the great thing about elite is that all those guys are training people and those guys are so knowledgeable in terms of just powerlifting olympic lifting kettlebells fms all that and they're like me like james here so hungry for knowledge always continue learning like that's the way a, a, a college should be run like i think like really at the end of the day you need to have a really good understanding of everything so you can go out briefly and just discard what's useless yeah like you know, I know we're going to talk about my own philosophy later, but I have a couple of basic mobility screens I look at. Mm. And then from there, it's like, let's see if they can get strong through full ranges of motion. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll, we'll tip onto that later on. But I couldn't arrive at my philosophy without knowing a decent amount about everyone else's philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, But uh, like, at the same, you know this, like, I mean, if we were to sit down with who are perceived to be the top people in the field like so much of what they do is similar like you know so, some people say move well first do the big compound movements get strong you know yeah. so but yeah it's uh, definitely with this idea of the, the kind of bar barrier to entry it's, it's definitely something I think that will be looked at and I hope it made sense like like when we say barrier it sounds like we're going to make it really hard for people to get in like yeah. that I, I would disagree with that like because like, I like 
like I disagree with, with why it's so hard to, like because I know in my heart that I would make a brilliant doctor but I just won't get I won't do medicine because I didn't have the leave insert to do it where like I would like it to be like right you can go do medicine but you still have to do the seven or eight years but you can do it you can apply and get in there yeah that kind of way it's the same yeah, way. it's like you have the chance to apply and do it but whether you're successful in completing the course or not yes really comes down to your own competence that's what I'm getting at and, and also I 100% agree with you that with courses it shouldn't be just like oh you got 95% in this theory exam like there needs to be can he coach does he have personal skills is he like a human not just a robot yeah you know because at the end of the day like uh, and you, you I, I, you're going to agree with this like would you take a guy with four PhDs or are you going to take the guy this is like say if you're hiring a coach for your gym you're going to take the guy with four PhDs or are you going to take the guy who's got human skills you're going to take yeah. the guy with human skills because you can, you can make him a coach you can you can train somebody really quickly and really easily into being a good coach, but you can't you can't train a personality. Yeah, oh, that's really train train personality. That's that's the second T-shirt you're gonna sell. <laughs> I feel like Gary Vaynerchuk here with all my uh, all my T-shirts. I'm gonna yeah, start Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, he's brilliant. Uh, okay, so yeah, we will touch into your training philosophy. So I know, like as we said offline before, like you yourself have your own training philosophy in terms of your powerlifting. So we can get into that, and I, I'd like to get into that because powerlifting is an area that I definitely want to attack more in my own personal training because I just want to get stronger because I, I hate being weak. <laughs> and uh, and in terms of with your clients, like so you you know refit is more towards general population, changing lives. You know it's it's. Again, like I heard James, or not James, uh, that's you. I heard Jason uh, Kane say this from Urban Fitness. You know, he's like, you know, it isn't really about the six pack or you know the the biceps. That's just kind of a way to get to the core of what people want, which is just to be more confident, better self esteem, happiness, really. So maybe just just touch on what are the philosophies of RevFit, or what are the the core values, if you like, of Revolution Fitness, and then get into the training philosophies there, and then maybe get into some of your own training. Okay, I kind of, I guess the overriding thing we do is help people discover their so that um, and the so that is, is super powerful it's kind of what you're saying that they're about Jay it's like nobody wants to be strong nobody wants to be lean nobody wants to have six pack mm. they want to have a six pack so that or they want to be strong so that yeah. so that what they're more confident they're happier they you know can score loads of girls but even, even the scoring loads of girls thing, let's say, they want to score loads of girls so that they can probably feel happier or confident in themselves. Mm. So nobody really wants like a physical thing. They want the emotional response that comes off the back of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you, when you understand that, it's a lot easier, I think, to deliver the results. So when it comes to training, we look at three things. We look at mobility, we look at strength, and we look at conditioning. And the mobility stuff is, you know, when you're doing like a group personal training class with an hour to get a lot of good quality work in, it can be very hard to generate any real or lasting mobility change. So what we're looking at is, are there any really obvious red flags that somebody has which would preclude them from doing the exercises we use frequently? Mm -hmm. So we'll look at stuff like ankle mobility. Can they get to a full depth squat with their toes, knees and heels together? Can they do something that roughly resembles a squat with their feet under their shoulders? And do they have good articulation of their upper limbs overhead? Um, and if any of that stuff is off, we'll just substitute movements. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to make sure people move first. And once we're sure they're moving first, then the goal is to get them strong. Um, and, you know, the getting people strong thing is like, it's the new bodybuilding, which was 
the which then became like let's say the new functional training and balancing on stability boards yeah. and now it's everyone's a powerlifter yeah. um, so I don't know I'm sure it'll be and those are trend in a couple of years but right now it's powerlifting and strength training but like to be honest all we're really looking at is can they build enough of a buffer for everyday life in the gym like can they get strong enough that their body lasts longer that yeah. they can do their day-to-day life easier that they can play with their kids they can play with their friends and family and actually do stuff that's meaningful to them um, and then you know kind of one or two out of every ten really get addicted to the strength side of things and that becomes a big part of their life and when that happens I'm delighted because I'm a coaching geek um, and then we just try and tie it all together with um, some sort of conditioning so like realistically we're just looking for them to be able to repeat efforts and not gas out mm. so that it would be something like a Tabata style interval it could be 30 seconds of work 30 second break it could be density blocks but it's just something done against resistance to get the heart rate up yeah. in a way that wouldn't be you know conventional strength training um, yeah. and I kind of I've adapted the pyramid you've got off I think Alvar Meal was it? yeah I got it off Alvar yeah, yeah um, and I've just kind of gone and said look the very top of the pyramid's power. You don't need to worry about it as a normal person yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, if we can get you strong and in good shape and get your work capacity up and make sure you move well, you eat well, and you don't have the world's biggest stressful lifestyle, we're doing pretty well. Great. So that's kind of that's where we come at things from. It's just let's make sure somebody moves well. If they don't move well, let's try and solve that problem. And once they move well, let's try and get them as strong as reasonably possible because like I'm, I'm sure you've seen this like going like for a normal person like let's say an 80 or 90 kilo dude going up to something like 130 140 kilo back squat it's not too hard and it's not too difficult with a structured training program and you can get there pretty quickly yeah. but going from you know 140 to 200 all of a sudden that takes a big investment mm. and the risk uh, off the back of that then obviously shoots up a lot higher so is an extra 30 kilos and a person's back squat going to improve their quality of life? And the answer is usually no. So, what can we do then that will help them look, feel, and perform better? Um, and then that obviously is handled on a case by case basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Like, listen, uh, like, I mean, those principles are, you know, very similar to my own thought processes. And I love what you said there about the buffer, you know, getting people stronger give them this bigger buffer so everyday life is less taxing to their sort of reserves. Yeah. Um, I really like that, yeah. And, and I, was just, I was listening to a really good podcast um, on the way home from Elite today, actually. And they were just talking about how, you know, like let's say you put a barbell, an empty barbell on somebody's back, and mm-hmm. that guy's a really decently trained powerlifter. He's got a resting heart rate in the 60s. He stands up, you know, it might, it might pull his heart rate up to, you know, 80 or 90 beats a minute. You put 200 kilos on his back, 300 kilos on his back, and he stands up. All of a sudden, his heart rate shoots to, you know, what, 160, 180, maybe higher. Mm. Then you take a normal person, and you sit him down on a toilet, and you tell them to get off the toilet. And if getting off of the toilet to them feels like a 200 kilo load does to the powerlifter, they're experiencing phenomenal, like, stress throughout their entire body every time they try and do day-to-day activity. Yeah. And because the day-to-day activity is hard and because they don't want to do it, they don't do it. And then it just sets in place this perpetuating cycle of, you know, I'm out of shape so I don't train. And I don't train because I'm out of shape. And, you know, 
20, 30 years later, they're sitting on the couch unable to get off of it because they're just too physically weak because they never took the time to, to build a structured program. So yeah. um, that's where the buffer comes in. Like, I mean, if you're 40 or 50 years old and you move like a 20-year-old, your quality of life's got to be better. Absolutely. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to offset, you know, the the sort of uh, diseases associated with aging. And we're listening to stuff we already know, you know, that if, you know, just get strong and you'll stay younger for longer. Yeah, I just... It's stuff like quality of life over quantity of life as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, if you can live your life to a full and kind of, like, let's say in a fully energetic day-to-day manner where you're up and down and doing stuff every day until you're 80 years old, I'd take that over living to, like, 80.5, where I'm lying in a bed all day. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the fasting studies that they've done so far. Like, I've heard this in Rob Wilson, they're all like, yeah, like, you know, fasting, like, where you, you decrease your caloric intake, it does seem to prolong your life, but only for, like, two or three years. Yeah. <laughs> so they're just like, ah, I'm not going to do it. Maybe in two or three years, if you have grandkids, we'll change our or in, you know, 40 or 50 years with grandkids, we might change our mind on it. But I think right now, I'd rather have high quality of life rather than a couple of extra years quantity. I know what you're saying. But to be honest, uh, I would expect that by doing strength training, you probably are going to prolong your life as well. So you're going to have quality and quantity, you know what I mean? Yeah, that was that was the other thing they actually touched on. Um, I can't for the life of me remember what university was studying it, but they were looking at like the three biggest predictors of longevity. And it was um, cardiovascular capacity, so VO2 max, hmm. leg strength, and it was something else, but it was a muscle mass. Oh, yes. So, uh, so as you age, the greater your leg strength, the higher your muscle mass, and the better your VO2 max, the more likely you are to live a long quality life. Yeah. And the overriding above, thing above all of that was um, actually leg strength, if I'm remembering correctly. D- 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 that doesn't surprise me because I would... I would postulate postulate I can't believe you just said that word I would I would hypothesize that's because falls are so prevalent in older people so yeah. if you're stronger in your lower extremities you're less likely to fall because what happens when you fall you become immobile when you become immobile then you start to get cardiovascular issues so yeah absolutely and they were kind of they were touching on the idea that you know it's not just leg strength but it's also leg power and leg speed leg power and speed exactly yeah. if, you're, if you're falling your foot needs to move fast to catch you yeah. and when it does move fast to catch you it needs to be able to absorb a lot of force yeah and all things being equal, the stronger, more trained person will be able to do that. Exactly. Well, that, to be honest, that, that's I've heard that many times. I remember Mike Boyle and he said like one of the first things to degenerate in people as they age is their is their actual power up with the rate of force development. Yeah. So he was saying even with older clients, it's still good to do a bit of jumping and landing with them. Yeah. And throwing a medicine ball off a wall and stuff. But of course, even just having that buffer of strength will obviously keep that there for longer too. Keep that rate of force development for longer as well. Yeah. Like I remember saying to my mum a while ago that the concept of jumping. I was like, when was the last time you got both feet off the ground at the same time? Yeah. And she looked at me and, like, I could kind of see the wheels whirring in her head as if to say, what exactly is James asking me? Why would I jump? And really, like, jumping is, ultimately all it is, is being able to absorb force on a landing. Mm. So if you trip and fall, can you absorb that force? If you've done some jump training, chances are you're better suited or better, better set to absorbing force. Yeah, like I, I trained my mother now. <clears throat> I've trained her now for two years, and I've always done some jumping landing with her, and I do a little bit of single leg work with her because I always get this image of her when she's going to be in her seventies and eighties, like of falling. I'm like, no, she's not going to fucking fall when she's older. Like, yeah. and, and it's funny because when she splits, when she does like a split squat or something now and again, she'll have to like 
maybe catch her balance on like the the wall or something my mom was like don't use the wall you're not 90 years of age because <laughs> i want her not to have to use i want her like because you know i don't want to i don't want her or any uh, adults um adults well like older older middle-aged individual i don't want them to have this mindset of that oh you know I'm old. Like I also hear this. Oh, geez, aren't they doing great for fifty? And I'm like, no, they're not. What? They're just out. They're out walking. What's good about that? You know, like this this mindset. Of, oh, I'm getting old. Or do you know what I mean? They kind of like treating themselves as if they're like you know vulnerable or just inferior or weak. And I'm just like, you're not. You're fifty years of age. You're a strong woman. Like, come on. Yeah, like almost expecting that as they get older, their body's supposed to break down. Yeah, like this is this is normal. Like yeah, that's it. People think it's normal. Like it's not normal. It's common. Such a crock of shit, man. Yeah, it's crock of shit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just in terms then of your own training like and we spoke about this before we got online too that you know I definitely in in a few weeks time now want to have a consorted powerlifting program for definitely a 12 month period if not more yeah. I, have, I have targets down for myself and I was telling Kieran Hegarty from Rod from the Rod gym it's funny because all the international listeners would be like who's Kieran Hegarty who's Jason Kane who's David <laughs> who's David McKay <laughs> it's just for people to be James like literally live 10 minutes apart or less and we've known each other we've actually known each other for years but only really got to know each other over the last two years yeah but uh so we're talking about friends of ours but I was I was telling Kieran uh, yesterday on um Kieran I should say Kieran he's Kieran's yeah. the Irish one Kieran Hegarty the my goals like so eventually I want to squat between you know at least two times body weight and up to two and a half times body weight long term my deadlift is at 2.2 i'd like to get that to two and a half and long term three times body weight and then yeah. i want to hit a one and a half time weight bench press they're my powerlifting goals like but uh you're a powerlifter or you, you you've trained like a powerlifter you've competed as a powerlifter um just give us your sort of thought process on the training of powerlifting um okay so the first one it has to be like the best lifters look pretty all the time so that's kind of that's the most foundational thing for me like I mean if your lifts start to break down and you fall into compensatory patterns you've gone too far mm. so like let's say things like knees caving on squats or the hip kicking up as you drive out of the hole like you can do all of the heavy squats you want but eventually that's going to catch up with you yeah. like you look at the best lifters in the IPF look at the best raw guys like Dan Green, you know, Ed Cohn, Belayev, all of the top ranked raw lifters in the world and historically the best power lifters, they all had similar principles behind their technique. Hmm. I mean, obviously due to biomechanical differences, they didn't look the same, but if you broke down their technique, they all kind of had the same thing happening. And if it's happening all the time, it's probably a pretty good sign something is, is going right. You don't see knees collapsing very often. You don't see hips kicking up very often. So... If that is happening, then, you know, you need to break it down and, and figure out why. So, for me personally, like, I've kind of got to the stage now where all my lifts look like they should all the time. And if I miss a lift, I'm going to miss it with the exact same technique I would have got it with if the bar was five kilos lighter. Mm. So, I think when you're assessing lifters and when I'm assessing my own stuff, what I'm really looking to do is make sure I miss lifts with the exact same form I get them with. Yeah. And that's, like, that's the biggest marker for me is good technique. Um, with regards to my own philosophy, I think I think people don't spend enough time building a foundation and building volume. So you know, at the end of the day, what moves most or what moves weight? It's not your nervous system. You know, okay, it obviously has a big factor to play, but unless you have the muscular size and strength for your nervous system to act upon, you'll never lift heavy weights. Like you look at the biggest, strongest guys in 
powerlifting now and they're all jacked like they look like bodybuilders mm. so they may not be let's say as jacked as a bodybuilder in much the same way as a bodybuilder won't be as strong as an international powerlifter yeah, yeah. but you can be damn sure that bodybuilder is still really fucking strong yeah well all the, like, top, all the top guys were like I mean sure those videos of Ronnie Coleman and he's squatting is it 800 pound or something yeah so like he was strong and all the, like, old, all the old school guys were strong as hell you know so you don't like you don't become a monster of that caliber without being really strong. Yeah, true. Um, so what if you're not as strong as your equivalent powerlifter? Doesn't matter. You're still stronger than ninety nine point nine percent of the population. Yeah. So for me, muscular size kind of is one of the foundational things behind strength training. And when you do hit a plateau in your strength work, one of the best things you can do is back off and build back up again through like the seventy to eighty percent range. Mm. So like as a basic overview for how I structure my training now, I've usually got a main movement. So let's say, you know, a squat, bench or deadlift or something very, very close to that. Would you, yeah, so I was about to ask you, would you usually stick with your competition nearly year round? Like with that main lift, is it usually the way you're gonna, like is it usually your competition style squat, bench, deadlift or would you ever, would you ever rotate it out for a while and do, like cause I, I think you did some high bar squat for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I'm still high, I'm, I've been high barring I think the last, six months or so okay. and you know the reason I went over the high bar was because my body was just getting beat up low bar like my elbows were hurting my back was hurting and every low bar training session became like a stressful event in itself yeah. whereas with high bar you can just jump under the bar and, and get to it um, and you know the other thing I kind of realised was my low bar at the time was like 220 plus without a bell my high bar was like 170 or it was, just, it was something like relatively terrible to my to my low bar. Um, I was like, shit, so maybe my leg strength isn't actually all that. Yeah. Like, I've got a strong squat, but I don't necessarily have strong legs. Yeah. So I kind of, I brought up my leg strength. I did a lot of high bar stuff. Topped out doing like, I think, a 225 high bar not right. too far ago. And all of a sudden, my deadlift shut up. My drive off the floor got better. I was able to dedicate a bit more time to training my back and hamstrings because they weren't constantly beat up from low bar squatting and now I'm, man I'm such a huge believer in doing a lot of high bar work for powerlifting um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny sorry to interrupt you it's funny it's funny you say that because I heard Ed Cohen speaking recently and he, he all he's been doing over the last half a year he said was high bar squats well if Ed Cohen says it it would be right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's right if Ed Cohen says it then it's true he probably saw my training log. Yeah, he did, absolutely. He, he, actually, he said, I believe he said that in the interview. He was like, I got this from James Hanley. That's good of him to give me credit like that. He's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, I mean, I'll, I'll, for like, let's say six to nine months out of the year, I'll go at my competition lifts. Okay. Um, and then I'll follow them up with some sort of assistance work targeted at my weak point. So, like, if that's deadlift, it'll be stuff like, you know, I'll do some sort of periodized deadlift plan yeah. it may be like multiple weeks at 80% it could just be a straight linear thing it might be some sort of undulating wave but there'll usually be some sort of structured periodized plan behind my main lift the two assistance exercises will be something you know something that's a weak point for me it's actually to be honest it's really similar to um, the stuff Christian Thibodeau outlined yeah. at the seminar we were at earlier this year or earlier last year so like uh, it's, yeah, it was like one was for a weakness and then one was an overload isn't it and... yeah like I mean yeah like for, for me I'm just picking two things I don't like yeah so what are the two things I'm, I'm relatively weak on like so for, 
for a deadlift it'd be something like a rack pull with a two inch elevation off the floor because that's kind of where my leg drive ends and because I've such strong legs throughout my deadlift I'd always stall out around my knees so by kind of eliminating that leg drive it had, it's forced me to focus on the things I'm weak at mm-hmm. um, and then you know I had uh, I'm not sure if you know Darren Kennedy or not but Dad was giving out to me about my back and how I wasn't holding good positions and how I was starting to round out a bit so it's like right well that's the other obvious one to attack then so I put in some snatch grip block pulls mm-hmm. and again as that got stronger and as my um, rack pull got stronger my deadlift went up yeah yeah um, so it's just it's constantly chasing down your new weakness because every time like, every time you train a weakness up you create a weakness somewhere else yeah. um, I was just constantly trying to find what's the next weak thing I can improve to bring up my lifting in terms of uh, just frequency, do you usually just train your, you know, do you usually just train a squat bench deadlift movement once per week, or have you ever gone with like a frequency sort of um, template? Like, remember we were we were discussing Mike Tashir offline beforehand. Like, have you ever actually trained? Like, I know you've done some small off stuff with the squat, but have you ever done like multiple squat deadlift and bench sessions in one week, or have you all spread it out? Yeah, I, um, I did a good bit of Shiko programming back in the day, so. You know Boris Shiko, the Russian powerlifting coach? Yeah, I, I know, yeah, I, I know who. I, I know, in saying that, I haven't delved into his stuff a lot. I know that it's highly specific, though, is it? It is, yeah. Like yeah. A, lot of, a lot of his programs popped up on the internet, you know, six, seven years ago, and there was no real, there was no explanation behind them. It was just like, this is what the Russian guys are doing. Um, but like in the last kind of, you know, six to 12 months, he started to develop a good online presence for himself and he's just been, you know, outlining how a lot of this stuff's actually very specific to the lifter, mm-hmm. you know, depending on where you are in the Russian sports class system, mm-hmm. you'd have different volumes, you'd have different setups in your training, um, and it was just something that was lost on people, so I kind of, I played about with some of this stuff, and what I noticed was my squat, and my squat especially, responded really well to the training cycle. But, you know, again, I'm built to squat, I've got short legs and a long torso, so anything I do for my squat's probably gonna make it better. Yeah. My deadlift got a little bit better, um, and then my bench press just, it just ran into a brick wall. Um, so with, like, say, let's say the frequency stuff, I think there's a huge amount to be gained out of it, but only if you've got, let's say, the muscle and size to support it. You know, at the end of the day, if you're a skinny guy who's, you know, got his ribs on show and his chest, you can do all of the 80-90% training you want, but the overall volume probably isn't going to be enough to generate any sort of decent hypertrophy response. And long term, you're going to need that muscle to actually lift heavier weights. Um, and like I know, you can kind of agree or disagree on that, but it's just my own personal philosophy. And I found the more I increase my training volume, the stronger I get. But that's not necessarily specific to the competition lifts. Yeah, yeah. So for the last ten weeks now, I've been following Brandon Lilly's Cube Predator bench program, and the volume in there is insane. Like, <laughs> it literally does not make sense. Ke- so Ke- Kieran was following that as well, was he? Yeah, um, we did the first six week cycle together, and then I reset and went again. But like, it got me this huge lifetime pure bench press, and. Um, 
like to the point where I was looking back going, how did this happen? Mm. Um, and you know, the reason it happened is because I had a training session where I was doing 80% for five sets of three. I was following with two sets with as many reps as possible on 70%. I was going on to a close grip bench and doing three sets of as many reps as possible on 75%. Fuck, that's a lot I was of doing some dumbbell bench pressing. I was doing tricep extensions. Tricep work, yeah. I was doing overhead pressing. I was doing pull downs and I was doing fly. Like how, how can your body not respond and adapt to that sort of volume? Yeah, it, 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 but it, it, the one the one thing that just come and pop into my head right now is it's it's almost hard to put your finger on what exactly did work there. You know, it's kind of like like I'm gonna pose the question like like maybe maybe you only needed like fifty percent of all that volume to get it to where it was, and, and maybe the extra fifty percent could have actually impeded it slightly. You know, like that they're kind of questions that I've been early asking because I just think weirdly stuff like that. But you're right though, like how could it not adapt with with that amount of volume though? Anyway. Just a brutal shotgun approach. Oh yeah! Like it's, it's not the precision aim sniper rifle. It's just taking a shotgun and blasting the shit out of your body. But in ter- in terms of your deadlift and squat, then do you find it hard to like maintain those? Did they go backward a bit because of the the extra fatigue from all that that bench work? Or it's like uh, I, I remember hearing Ido Ido Portel talking, and he you know he's like uh, he was saying. He's like he always has this like this kind of like fight in his head going like he he will dedicate like a few months mastering this one movement and he goes I know when I master this movement another movement somewhere is suffering because I'm not practicing yeah. enough and I always think like geez it must be the same for powerlifters as well like even though now with him it's like twenty or thirty or fifty different movements with powerlifters I know it's only three but you know there is times where powerlifters need to dedicate more to one lift and it's kind of like whereas you know they're trying to balance and maintain the other one so their total doesn't go up so. How did you find actually doing that predator now with with the rest of your training? Um, I kind of I was coming off about six months of very intense high bar squatting and deadlifting. So it was so a, it, some, it was a nice break. So it was a really good break. I hit some huge lifetime PRs, like things I wouldn't have expected to do inside of the next two years mm. after the back of that training cycle, and it just got so well um, that I, I was burning out. You know that point where you get to it and you're heading to the gym and you just go fuck it and I don't fancy it today yeah. that's where my lower body training got to um, but you know when I got there I was like right I need a break I need to change something up let's address the, be- address the bench press um, and then recently I mean I managed to blow my ankle up my hip exploded on me so I had like I've had a couple of things that have prevented me from squatting and deadlifting for the last you know 8 to 10 weeks at any meaningful level so naturally enough they've gone backwards Um. But as a general rule, back when I was competing, the thing I kind of aimed for was to have two of my three lifts and my total go up at every competition. So, like, I think it's probably a bit stressful trying to get all three lifts up at the same time. And I think when you get better and when you get stronger, the overall effect and, and demand on your body to recover from that is just too hard to sustain. Yeah, like, like you know, like it's... Um... I'm just thinking. I was about to say something. Then, uh, then Mike Tashir came to my head. But usually, when like you're, you know, the four, you know, you get stronger. Your force output is obviously getting higher. Usually, then that, that kind of you need to be more diligent with the frequencies and volumes that you're training all those three lifts at as as you're kind of getting stronger. So as you're saying there, like as you just start to burn out. So you know, that's it. Like you might add a set or two into movement, but when you look at your overall weekly volume increase because of that, like you're sending stuff through the roof. So. Like I think when it comes to competition and, and training for it, my philosophy 
philosophy is to spend as much time as possible in the, in the accumulation phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, look, once you're already really strong and once you already have a really good background, then you can start looking at realization. Then you can start looking at a more frequency-based approach to actually put numbers up in competition. But for me, I spend most of my time training like with kind of a linear periodized main lift and a lot of volume on my assistance work. Yeah, yeah. It's it, like talking to the likes of Chad Bezos Smith and to share like they're, they're kind of, you know, Chad would always say like, look at Milanovic like, and he's like, like, like as in like Milanovic is at, he's at like the very top of the pyramid and that like nearly all his training is just specific, but he's built himself to that. And it's the same then with, with the, the, the Steco problems we were talking about earlier on and you, you always get people looking at that type of training and thinking, oh, that's all I have to do. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you were saying there like those programs were, were kind of designed for the Russians who had went through a rigorous training program to get there to earn that type of training yeah so it's, it's the same like with the um, was it Ch- Chad tells the story of he was at uh, a seminar with Ily Ilium the Olympic lifter and yeah, um, yeah. and um, Klockoff and everybody was saying oh so Klockoff what's your training like now and then Chad was like saying to people don't ask him what his training's like now ask him what was he doing 10 years ago because <laughs> so, yeah. that's where you need to be right now like so uh, all the bodybuilding stuff as well. It doesn't matter what the pros are doing in Flex Magazine now. It's what did they build their base on? Yeah, it's, that's what you need. Yeah, it's what Dan John calls systematic education. He's like, you wouldn't go into school day one and go right, kids, algebra. It's like, <laughs> you know, we need like one, two, three. So it's the same with weightlifting. You know, it's like, can you do a push up? Can you, can you like, as you said, like the easy assessments you're doing now? Can you put your feet together and do you have a dorsiflexion? Can you do a squat with your body weight? <laughs> yeah. You know, can you like if you can't we're not going to make you squat four times a week at 90% yeah exactly yeah exactly um, um, but yeah. Uh, definitely true but it, it, the, the idea of uh, the, but the, the idea of kind of you know as you said accumulation definitely is a big thing I agree with you there I think people shortchange that accumulation volume you know that they do need to go through that me myself as a lifter I know I need more volume because it's funny too like like it's so, like you'll appreciate this too like I remember I was like you know I really need to get my squat up and then I'm just like I all, every time I think about getting my squat up you were always in my head saying you want to squat more you need to you need to squat more often <laughs> you know yeah you want to squat more you got to squat more often so I was just like my squat like just went like I hit like uh, I'm in line to hit like a 185 squat and yeah. I'm currently at 87 kilo I'm actually quite light at the moment but I'm, I'm in line to hit 85 185 or 190 on my squat next on my test and it's purely because I've just been squatting twice a week and I fix up my technique as well yeah. um, that's another thing maybe my touch on to maybe just some of the common errors you see in terms of technique with the squat bench deadlift that you see an awful lot I love uh, let's, we, we can talk about uh, dog shit deadlifts first <laughs> <laughs> okay um, yeah okay we'll get, we'll get dog shit deadlifts out of the way and then we'll talk about squatting and bench pressing um, so yeah a dog shit deadlift is basically when you pull the bar and your lower back resembles a dog taking a shit. Like, you know the way a dog takes this really curled up posture to squeeze a poop out, and he always seems to catch you looking directly at him. Yeah, he always does. He's always aware of what's going on. So, like, the big, obviously, the most common problem with deadlifting is like rounded backs. But you know, you've got you've got two things going on there. Like, why is your back rounding? Mm. Is it technical or is it, let's say, structural? Mm-hmm. And when I say structural, I'm gonna Say that includes flexibility, it includes mobility, it includes stability, firing yeah. patterns, all that sort of stuff. So basically anything not technique related. Yeah. Um, so just simple things like, you know, can they clear the ASLR truck stability push-up test yeah. from 
deadlifts after limbs move, chances are when they get into deadlift, it's going to go wrong. Yeah. So, like, assuming, like, let's assume that somebody has good movement, they have decent core strength, and they're, they're functionally ready to deadlift. And um, probably the biggest issue when they actually set up the deadlift is they just set up in the wrong position. So, like, if you start in the wrong position, everything you do from there is going to be a problem. So, the biggest one I see is people try to squat the weight up. So, you know, like, it's the deadlift is fundamentally a hinge pattern. It's mm. not a squatting pattern. Your knees will need to bend, and there will be, like, some sort of quad involvement off the floor, but the primary function is going to be driven by glutes and hamstrings. Yeah. So, if you try to squat down, as your shins and knees move forwards, all that does is push the bar away from you. And it'll usually push it over, like, just like, let's say the, the bottom of your toes, just when they join into your foot. Yeah, yeah. When you stand up now, all that happens is the bar has about six inches to travel backwards before it can move up. Because for the most part, for most people, the bar's never going to move until your shins are pretty much vertical and your shoulders are directly over the bar. Yeah. So if you start with your hips low and your shins forwards, the first thing that has to happen is the kids kick up before the bar moves. And then all of a sudden, after that happens, you lose all tightness to your core, you get rounded over, you start dragging at the weight, your hips are fully extended by the time the bar gets to the knees, and now you've got this big round back and no ability to lock the weight out. And people look at it and they go, oh yeah, it's a lockout issue, it's lockout is weak. You know, glutes, because that's what extends the hips. You're like, well, no, his, his hips are already extended. The problem is his erectors aren't strong enough to finish the lift. Yeah, yeah. And his erectors will never be fucking strong enough to finish the lift because they shouldn't be trying to do that anyway. They should be stabilizing his back rather than trying to move it. Yeah. So, you know, is the problem his lockout? No, the problem is he's lost his position off the floor because he put the bar in the wrong position. And now all of a sudden he's stuck in this position you can never recover from. And people do that for years and they get pretty strong in that pattern. They never get strong in a good deadlift pattern. And then they're just too pig-headed ignorant to come back and restart. Yeah. It's, so, it's funny, sorry to interrupt you, it's funny you say that, because one thing I meant to say on was this concept that Chad Wesley Smith talked about, where he was saying, he was talking about his principles of training, and one thing he said was, when I train, I'm not strength testing, I'm strength training. So what he meant by that was, like, when I go into the gym, I'm not trying to set a PR and max out and have a round of back of my deadlift and ugly bench and squat. And it goes back to what you just said, picture perfect every time. Yeah. I think actually that's it's such a good point. I probably should have mentioned it when we were talking about our philosophies. Um, to, uh, I definitely agree. People spend way too much time testing and not near enough time training. Like if you walk into the gym and your attitude is, let's see what I can do today, yeah. every single day, yeah. you never actually build anything. Yeah. All you do is, like, you see where you're at right now, but that doesn't move you forward. And it goes back to your earlier on your point about you know you need to accumulate volume yeah. that you know because you need well you need that volume for one technique and you need to put on a bit of size and also ingrain motor patterns and all that type of stuff and you know specificity and going heavier is for guys who are at the top of that pyramid so even i was just thinking earlier on even like to even though Tashir does lots of frequency he does lots of frequency with very few movements so really yeah. you know he actually is doing a very specific program like the like, like the russians and all that so spec like it's like anything in training you always go from general to specific and the top guys they can get away with specific programs because they they spent years before that accumulating all this volume. Yeah, that's right. They've earned the right to be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, it's sort of it's even like the aerobic stuff. Like, 
aerobic work's not sexy anymore, but you know what's going to be the foundation for good cardiovascular capacity. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, I mean, I'm far from an expert on the subject, but it just seems obvious to me that you know you recover from most things aerobically. So the deeper your aerobic base, the more likely you are to successfully complete a movement a number of times. Yeah, you're 100 percent correct. Without without form or technique breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. So why would that not be a desirable thing to have? It, oh, it's, it's because road work isn't sexy and running laps isn't cool anymore. It's funny you say that because I'm just reading Beyond 531 by Windler and uh, I've, I've kind of skimmed through before but now I'm just going through it again and that was one of the things he said on it. He says, do some low cardio stuff 30 minutes, two, three times a week and he goes, yeah. believe me, it'll help you recover. Yeah, 100%. Like I look at the volume I could put into my sessions and just my work capacity, like, you know, back when I was competing hard, and I was pretty fit all around. And the reason I was able to survive through that was purely because I had a decent enough engine. Yeah. Like I had probably a resting heart rate in the 50s, but that was maintained through just doing a little bit of aerobic work. I wasn't freaking out going redlining for two or three hours a day on my feet running. Yeah, yeah. But I was just doing enough to maintain it. And once you've, like, kind of, I think probably similar enough to strength work. Like once you've established a new base of real structural change in your muscle, it shouldn't really go away. I remember you saying to me one time, um, was it you did a race or a cycle or something like that, and I I can't remember exactly what it was, but you did some some something like that. It was like a ten was it a ten k run or something like that. Anyway, was it down Galway or yeah, it was Panama Challenge. And and I just remember you saying to me like I I, I turned around and I was like, did you do any training for anything? You're like, no, no, I just did it like and. You know, and, and you were kind of saying to me, you know, that for some people, you were like, for some people, that would be like such a challenge and achievement. And he's just like, you know, for the likes of me and you or the guys that train regularly, like to us, it's such a little stress to us. And you were kind of like, you know, it's, it's kind of like nice to have that, you know, yeah. that that it's almost we take it so for granted that that because we're so because training's our life. Like we train almost every day, whether it's uh, whether it's a heavy day or it's a recovery or mobility or some type of aerobic work or whatever it is. But just to have that reserve there all the time I remember you said it I just found it so profound when you said to me in the car I was like you know I never really thought about that like that you know yeah. me, me, like if you said to me right now like like even though two of us would not go jogging but like if, if we had to go for a run we'd survive easy enough whereas and we don't run at all but it's just, yeah. it's just because our work capacity is so high from training for the years and it's the same like with mobility and strength stuff as well like just because like let's say you're trying to squat down and get a a perfect overhead squat. You might never do that in training because it may not be, you know, it may not be something that's conducive to you getting your goals. But you should always have the ability to do it. Yeah. You should always have the buffer to be able to do that. Yeah. And it's the same with like running. You should have the ability to go out and jog for half an hour. Yeah. Even if you never have to do it. Um. But again, we're kind of we're dragging this wildly off topic. Let's no, it's not, it's, it, no, it's all, it's all great. We were we're on deadlifts, and you were just deadlifts. yeah, deadlifts. We're yeah. Ta- and you were saying we, we got on to the reason we went off there. We were talking about you were saying guys are too pig headed to, to go back, and then I I bumped in with the you know not tests and training. We went off there. Yeah. So yeah, the deadlifting thing I think we kind of covered for the most part. Assuming there's no real structural issue, it usually comes to just setting up in the wrong position. Yeah. For me, my preferred start position is with the bar approximately over where the knot in my shoelaces would be yeah, yeah. and then that obviously varies from person to person but it's a decent you know it's a decent starting point to try and form some some ideas on what they're going to do and where they're going to get set up from there on in yeah. uh, with regards to you know the bench press um really like sure you're gonna agree with me on this it's just 
a complete lack of stability through the shoulders. Yeah. Like, just being unable to lock your shoulders down and not have them move. Because you just, again, like, I mean, if you think about the nature of the shoulder joint, it's really just like a ball sitting on top of the saucer. It's not very stable. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you're trying to shoot a cannon out of that canoe, you've no idea where the force is going to go. So until you can lock it down and put down a stable surface for it, um, you're, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for injury and you're setting yourself up for a lot of missed bench presses. With regards to remedies for it, like, I know the FMS and Grey Cook kind of talk about not using stabilizers as movers, but I've got my best success doing, like, dedicated scapular attraction work, like pull-ups, um, scap pull-ups, band pull-apart variations, yeah. things like bat wings, um, trap tree raises, you know, things that really force those muscles, not necessarily to make them stronger and bigger, but just to, for lack of a better term, wake up. Yeah. And you know, actually do their work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other one I'll say on bench pressing is, you know, a lot of the articles that have been written in the last ten years on bench pressing have appeared on the likes of Elite and West Side. And you know, five ten years ago, they were all focusing on, for the most part, shorter bench pressing. Yeah. Back when equipped powerlifting was a lot more popular. And you know, when you're doing it, you absolutely have to tuck your elbows. You absolutely have to pull the bar low. And lat strength becomes hugely important, but you know if you try to tuck your elbows to your ribs on a raw bench press, you're probably not going to be a very strong bench presser. Mm. Like your bar path will be all screwy, your elbows and shoulders are going to get achy. So def- and again, there definitely has to be somewhere in the middle. Like you're not looking for a big elbow flared bodybuilder style bench, but at the same time, you don't want to have this over tucked, you know. Christian Bale and the machinist elbow to ribs and hands out to the side approach either. Yeah. Um, so for bench press, like it's just failing to set up and retract the shoulders and lock them down, and then trying to, you know, mimic, mimic something you've seen online without actually realizing why you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Do do, do you find like personally? I, I I I don't know if this is true, but personally, my own because the bench is my worst one. I don't, I'm long limbed and all that, but I, that's just excuses. Do like do, in terms of. Do you find most people's lockout is weak due to just pure strength through the shoulder tricep complex? Like, I just think I've got really just weak triceps in general, though. Um, I think like I think it depends. Like, it depends on what people define as lockout. Like for me, it's kind of the last third of a lift. Mm. And in my experience, it's unusual to see a raw lifter who genuinely has a lockout issue. Most of them end up. Off the chest. Off the chest. Yeah, like, well, actually, you know, I'm off the chest is actually my issue, so it is. It's somewhere like, let's say where, it's somewhere where the upper arm approaches parallel to the floor. Yeah. That's usually where people fail. They'll fail, you know, three or four inches off their chest. Um, for people that do have lockout issues, like, a lot of the time, what I notice is one of their shoulders pops out. So, again, it goes back to your stability. Stability thing again, yeah. yeah. So, like, let's say you're doing a, a high rep bench set. And you're doing like a set of 12, a 12 rep max. You might get like 8, 9, 10, like an absolute boss. And like the bar speed looks good enough to hit much higher. And then all of a sudden, they just lose the ability to one of their shoulders. Yeah. It ends up around the air. And you're not going to be able to load your joint in that position. So the body will just stop the lockout. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it's not weak triceps. It's just I'm in a bad position. Yeah. And it's much the same for those guys when they're max testing, what will happen is like they'll crush a lift, like they'll hit a great bench press, they'll go five kilos heavier, 
and it won't move again because they've hit like this stability gap where they have the strength to do it but they don't have the actual stability to hold themselves in place so they can exert that force on the bar yeah, yeah exactly I've seen, I've seen that loads of times too and yeah it, it, you know you see them lift and you're like god there was definitely another two and a half five kilo on that no problem then they go up to five kilo and it's just like oh yeah it just fucking smashed yeah yeah um, but you know even that's like that's the best problem in the world to have in a lifter because it's such an easy remedy yeah to fix them the scap position and all that yeah, yeah just yeah. reset the scap and just make sure it's been stabilised properly and you're going to hit huge PRs like by default yeah yeah in terms of accessory work now let's say for for the bench what, what do you find most people now again it's depending on the lifter but what's most common do you see has a big transfer like do you find lat work tricep work direct pec work like what do you find usually brings it up along obviously once you've corrected technique I think for most people heavy horizontal pressing variations yeah. so you know stuff like um, close grip bench press things like dumbbell bench incline dumbbell bench I think they're they're vastly underrated especially if there's a big discrepancy between like let's say their barbell numbers and their dumbbell numbers yeah. like I mean I could take but taking myself and as, a, as an example, like I take you know 120, 130 for for 10 and crush it. But if I'm not training my dumbbell press, 40 kilo dumbbells for 10 is hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're, you're 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 very tricep dominant. You were saying to me one day, aren't you? I'm relatively short armed. I'm pretty thick through the torso, and I've got a good setup. So my arm never really passes through anything more than the floor press range of motion anyway. Yeah, yeah. So when I sink dumbbells in, all of a sudden, like I have this really big glaring weak point. Yeah. So for me, is more tricep work going to help? Probably not. It's probably this really big, obvious weak point I've never addressed. And it just happens that that's the thing that gets addressed the most on cube Predator. So it's probably... I was just about to say that, yeah. I was just about to say, like you were getting direct fly work too. And... Yeah. It's like... I've done cycles of stuff like Poliquin's German body comp and those sorts of training that have huge amounts of pec work in them um, and I've always been like so anti-bro in that I've never done that stuff so that when I do do it I end up stronger for it yeah yeah, yeah. I find now I'd be the opposite in that like my chest always takes over and press emotions like, so a, a huge discrepancy with me would be like my close grip to my bench or a neutral grip dumbbell press to my pronated grip I find that so I, I know like and it's like anything you know this is like people just don't like to train their weaknesses and you're like I know I have to do this like the same with my low bar squat to my high my high bar is just fucking yeah. it's so far behind but I know that if I get that up it'll obviously well I wouldn't say obviously but I'd be very uh, surprised if it didn't carry over yeah, and when you look at like your your squatting style and your your deadlift numbers, it kind of makes sense why your high bar be so far behind because yeah. you've got a decent enough lean going on, so your back's doing a lot of the work. Well, actually, I've I've actually changed that. Sorry, if you've seen me squat in a while, I've I've actually I haven't. yeah. So just uh, I've actually narrowed my stance in a good bit, and and uh, I had this conversation with a guy called Quinn Henock, the guy from Juggernaut. Yeah. I, I interviewed him and, it, 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 and it's funny I'm, in, I'm interviewing Kelly Surrett next Thursday so we'll be talking about this like I kind of was one of these people that I wouldn't say fell for it because I, I wouldn't say Kelly's uh, you know wrong like you know 100% wrong but just that his style of squatting did not suit me so then you know I stood a bit wide I, I tried to keep my feet more neutral now I squat kind of neutral foot anyway I feel kind of comfortable in a kind of almost straight foot but anyway the, the Kelly Surrett style of squatting really was hurting my left knee and it was it was um Alexander Craig from Capital Strength. She just said to me, she was like, 
you do know like pushing your knees out too much in Varus is just as bad as your knees collapsing in too much in in, yeah. in Valgus. And she was like, you're just putting too much torque on your left knee. And I was, yeah. and, and, and like when she said it, I was just like, you know, this voice in my head is like, yeah. <laughs> so, then, uh, so, so then I, I changed my squat stance to narrow and turning my toes out just a little bit more. Yeah. And I and I kept and I just and I just kept I keep my I allow my knee to just naturally hinge straight over my foot instead of pushing it out. And I also changed my bar position in that my hands are like really close. It's low bar, but my hands are really close in and elbows tucked under. From that, so I got that from Chad and Brandon when they were over. And like I mean, my squat is like so much. My I don't get that chest collapse anymore. Yeah. Uh, I keep my head more gazed because you used to always be like get your head up, you know, like like even though like and just for the listeners like it, like James wasn't telling me to like look up to the roof like some powerlifters do. He was just like you're looking down, like look straight forward and keep your gaze up a bit. Yeah, but it, 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 it was with your eyes, not with your head. Yeah, exactly. It was just my, my stance was too wide, and my my upper back tightness was just way way too uh, loose. But since I've addressed that, it's so much stronger. And again, that's internet powerlifting thing because the biggest exposure we've had over the last ten years to strong guys is strong guys in multiply suits. Yeah. Who have to sit back into the equipment to get the most leverage out of it. Yeah. And the way to do that most efficiently is to go with a very wide stance. Yeah. And a slightly wider grip because they're so tight. But, yeah. you know, not doing a wide stance multiply squat, you're doing something that's actually much closer to an Olympic-style squat. Yeah, yeah. So, I hate those definitions. And it's, it's funny you say, well, yeah, to me kind of too, because it's not black and white enough, but it's it's funny you say because I feel, it, it's, I almost feel like I'm doing an Olympic squat, but with the bar in the low position. That's kind yeah. of what I feel like. And it feels so much better. And actually, Quinn, Quinn explained it to me. He says... He's like he was saying through the like we were on the podcast like this, but he said from what it sounded like he was like it sounds like the way you'd line yourself up like he was like squatting is an is a extension torque. There should be you should be avoiding rotation, not trying to actively create it by yeah. pushing your knees out. So he was like it sounds like the new technique you're using now you're actually getting more focused extension torque. So you're basically just going straight to the ground and pushing straight back up rather than standing wide, going down, the sit piss, back and sit back, the pistating force by pushing your knees yeah. out and getting like lots of force lost through rotational torque instead of just focusing on a straight up and down. Yeah, that's like that's exactly how I teach people to squat. It's like set your feet just outside your shoulders, turn your toes off a little bit, spread the floor with your feet and then sit straight onto your heels. Yeah. And like when you do that, because you've, but because you've set your hips in the proper position, you don't have to sit back. You don't have to worry about where they're going. They're just naturally going to go to where you want them to go or where they need to go. Yeah, yeah. I know. You, I know you're you're caught in time, so we went over deadlift and bench. So maybe just quickly go over squat, and then we'll, we'll just finish up maybe with some uh, quick advice and resources, and, and then uh, I'll let you go. Uh, okay, squatting is easy. Um, two things: it's too heavy, or your ankle mobility is a problem. <laughs> done. <laughs> Bingo, done. Um, reason being. If you think about what happens when you're squatting, like let's go to the ankle mobility issue first. You stand up tall, your feet are under your shoulders. When you squat down, you're trying to preserve your center of gravity and not fall over. Yeah. You want to keep yourself from falling backwards. You want to keep yourself from falling forwards. If you get a quarter of the way down and your knees hit this roadblock where they can now no longer travel forwards and you still keep trying to force your hips down, your body weight is tending backwards. Mm. So the correction you have to bring in to make that work is to lean your shoulders way forwards. So you end up with this massive forward lean. Mm -hmm. And you know, you look at it and you go, oh, his back is weak or whatever, whatever, whatever. When really it's like he's no option but to lean forwards unless he wants to fall backwards. Yeah. Um, whereas if that same person got a quarter of the way down and they could keep their knees going forwards, 
not massively past the toes, but just like maybe an inch or two past. Mm. It would allow them to keep their core a lot more upright or the torso a lot more upright, which then preserves the bar over the middle of the foot and you end up standing up stronger for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so ankle mobility number one. Once that's cleared then and you still see that issue, it has to be leg strength. So not squatting strength, but leg strength specifically. Um, like your body's always going to find a way to complete a, to complete a movement or to do something that roughly resembles the pattern you're trying to create. So for a squat that is, like let's say getting your hips below parallel and standing back up tall. So if for you that means when you squat down, you don't have enough leg strength to drive your hips and shoulders up concurrently, the hips will shoot first and then the back will come in to finish the lift. Typically when you look at those people, they have a huge disparity between their high bar back squat and their low bar back squat. And with the high bar or the front squat, you have no... You've no option but to drive it up with your legs. Because yeah. if you don't, you're losing the bar. Um, whereas with a low bar squat, you can kind of fight it up in a, an ugly position. And, you know, you can fight it for as long as you want. And you can keep training your low bar squat to get stronger with that style. But eventually, all that's going to happen is your gains will stop. Yeah. And you'll get hurt. Yeah. And you'll have to swallow your pride and go back and start all over again. So if right now you have a big disparity between your, your front squat and your high bar back squat and your high bar back squat and your low bar back squat, you know you have a big glaring weakness there you can address and get stronger with. Um, it's really tough to put percentages on it because I've never considered them too hard, but I'm looking for my, as a general rule, for my high bar back squat to be approximately 90% of my low bar, mm-hmm. both beltless, and assuming both have got equal training volume in the last like six month period, say, because yeah. look, specificity the more you train something, the closer they'll come together. Yeah. Um, and then front squat to high bar back squat, I don't know, like 85-ish percent maybe. And yeah. once they're in those ratios, I know my problem is no longer a specific type of strength. It's just I need to get stronger on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, I interviewed Greg Everett. He was saying that roughly your front squat should be about 80% of your back squat and that's obviously an Olympic style back squat high bar so and I think a high bar is roughly about 80, 85 to 90% of your low bar so yeah yeah, so it's, yeah it's pretty good yeah, pretty good uh, um, and it's up, up my head yeah James just wrapping up um, what would you say are the, the biggest mistakes or things you've learned since you started coaching uh, coaching okay um, expecting too much from people oh. so what I mean by that is when I initially started coaching, my approach was, you know, let's take what I can do and cut it in half. Yeah. Because that's probably what an average person can do. And then I realized very quickly, there's such a range of average that there's no real solid way to tell it. Um, I'll never forget one of my first coaching sessions where I asked the guy, he was about 40 years old, a good cyclist, ran quite a bit and looked relatively fit and healthy to do a burpee. And he looked at me as if to say, how the fuck am I meant to put my hands on the ground? <laughs> like, he, he had no idea about how to put his, his hands down. When he did his hip cramps and, you know, like, he was relatively healthy and he had no major underlying issues. But, you know, the last time he put his hands on the ground was probably as long ago as it was since my mum had done a jump. Yeah. So, yeah. just assuming the general population have all these basic movement patterns is something I'll never do again. Yeah, that's actually... Yeah, a really, really good point. I, like, I think one thing I've spoke about with Danny Lennon before, and and you in person, you know, is that stop um t- to stop. Uh, what's the word I was gonna say? Um, 
or it, to, to meet people where they're at and stop kind of putting your sort of uh, values and wants on them, you know. So kind yeah. of, you know, like, you know, I'll just, just do a squat and a deadlift on the bench and eat this way, you would be fine. Just do what I do. You know, it's like, and again, people just are not there. So you got to meet them where they're at. So kind of, that's so funny. That guy, like, how the fuck am I going to do burpee? And you're kind of like, you're thinking, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's like you put your hands on the ground and kick your bloody feet backwards. So, you yeah, know, yeah, exactly. but again, like I was younger at the time. I didn't really understand as much as I do now. Yeah. Um, like you've had to put me in a room full of strong athletic guys who would have got amazing results, but it's taken a bit of time to kind of to break my understanding of what normal is, yeah. and just approach everyone as an individual. And even at even at that, like you'll get a sense. I mean, there's, I mean, there's like let's say there's four broad categories of individual, and they they outline them in precision nutrition actually. Mm. So like you've got low motivation, low skill. Yeah, yeah, I love that. High motivation, low skill. That sort of person needs to be pulled back a little bit. Um, you've got high skill, low motivation. That sort of person, you've just got to get inside them and figure out what's going on. And then you've got the person who's high skill, high motivation. And that person will make you look like a world-class coach because all you have to do is tell them what to do. They show up every day and just kick ass. Yeah. Um, so understanding the different types of personality traits um, and that not everybody loves training as much as I do. Is probably the most important thing I've come to realize over the years. In terms then of advice you'd give to uh, coaches, um, I used to always say young coaches, but I've changed that because like I've got coaches who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s listening to this. So, what would your advice be just to any coach listening to this? Um, try to discover your unknown unknowns. So everyone has like everyone has known known or like unknown knowns. No, sorry, known unknowns. They know they don't know things. Yeah. But there's so much out there that people don't even realize they don't know. Um, and I include myself in this category. That's why I listen to anyone about anything. But, but just simple things like how to set up properly for a bench press or how to set up properly for a deadlift. Don't just assume because you've been squatting for years you know how to set up to squat. Don't assume because you've been running for years you know how to set up to run. So it's always try and find you know, someone who's better than you in a field where you're weak and learn off them and you know if you can find somebody better than you in a field where you're strong for sure go and interact with that person too it's it's so funny you say that because like I mean if you'd said to me two years ago like even like a year ago do you know how to squat I'd be like I don't know how to squat I know know low bar I know high bar and then like like, even if you said to me now if you said to me now do you know how to squat I'd be like yeah I think I do Because I'm, you know, you're, you're changing around, and you, like, because now I realize, oh my god, how was I squatting like that before? Like, why? Uh, by the way, if, if I'm ever doing something like that in the gym again, you see me, like, whether it's with any of my lifts, please come over and be like, I don't think that's right. Gladly. It's the Bruce Lee thing all over again, though. It's like, when I first threw a punch, a punch was just a punch. Yeah. When I learned about timing, about placement, about weight distribution, it got complicated. And then once I understood it all again, you know, it was just a punch. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Same with lifting. Once you understand, like, you've got to go through this pattern of, having to break everything down, having to get completely bamboozled so you can get to the point where you can look at it and go, ah, okay, it's just that again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, all, it's just all part of the process. 100%. And I think that's something that only comes with time. Yeah. Um, like, you can learn off the best guys in the world, but the only way you'll really ever truly learn this stuff is to try and fail yourself. Exactly, yeah. In, in terms of just resources, quickly before you go, uh, and resources could be anything. It could be a book, a DVD, an audio program, a person, a course, 
and it could be anything too it doesn't have to be necessarily be around training or, or nutrition and we didn't even get into nutrition but i'm definitely gonna have you back on so we can touch more on maybe nutrition and business next time you're back on okay um in terms of resources what what would you what would you recommend okay resources um because i know you, you're you're de- I, even though you offline you, you were kind of like you know you 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 love coaching and you you were saying to me offline that even, and you do love educating and doing courses you were kind of saying you, you love the coaching more whereas I was kind of saying offline I, lo- I love learning and, and probably slightly even more than coaching you're still a very educated guy though you do put a lot of money into your continuing education so mm. there's definitely great resources I know you can recommend um, okay I think from a nutrition standpoint I'm gonna just have to say the paleo solution um, yeah it's, well, it's so simple so simple yeah but you know, it, it covers the topic really well. Mm. Like it, it's just really simple, really straightforward, and really to the point. Um, and then, like I'm gonna say, like the paleo solution, but don't be afraid of rice and potatoes. Yeah, yeah. I also, too, you like precision nutrition, as in the website and the information it gives. And yeah, I, I was gonna say for mindset and for coaching, precision nutrition. Yeah, they've kind of they've taken a lot of models from a lot of different places and kind of molded it into one really well put together form of coaching mm. um, for like let's say sorry coming back to nutrition I've got to say as well um, podcast Danny Lennon Sigma Nutrition Excellent. Phil Lerny's podcast is incredible and um, it's probably one of the best ones out there um, and you know Paleo Solution is obviously a, a great um, podcast as well very good yeah. um, with regards to mindset Obviously, I'm going to plug the Better Life Project.ie because you know it's a big part of what we do, and I'm a huge believer in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one book that's probably had more of an impact on my life than any. Actually, you know, look, I'm going to come out right and say it. the most profound impact any training course, audio material, book, video, in-person contact, internet, whatever, um, has to be the Go Giver. Oh, it's a great book. So. The book is great, but the audio book is incredible. That's yeah. I actually listened to it three times. I have. I can't like. The story itself is just incredible. It's amazing. It's it's so inspirational. Every time I read it, every time I listen to it, I come away wanting to do something. Yeah. But the way it's told in the book, and the guy who reads it has this incredible, like grandfather storyteller voice. Yeah, he has, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And it just makes it so easy to get into. Um. So I think if you do nothing else on the things I say today go and get the Go Giver audiobook and listen to it this weekend and it's really short it's only like 4 hours or something isn't it I don't even know if it's that long but yeah, yeah it's super short super easy to consume um, from a training perspective it's really really hard to distill it down into one or two books um, or places for information um, obviously like you've had so many incredible people on your podcast that if you just went through the archives yeah. Like the chats, the gyms, like they're kind of they're the guys that resonate really well with me. Yeah. You know, like the the accumulation guys who have a lot of volume on the main lifts. That's the style of training I like, and it's the one I think that works really well. Yeah. So you know, juggernaut M five three one. Although, like I think personally, there's things that could be improved for both. But again, look, who the fuck am I? I'm just a nobody. But um, <laughs> like I think it's the same thing. Like if you put a group of guys in a room you'd probably agree with 90% of what each other's saying, yeah. but if you put the disciples in a room, you'll disagree with 90% of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they just don't understand the principles. Um, then, 
recovery, nutrition, stress management, um, has to be why zebras don't get ulcers. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, like, I don't have a huge amount of time to sit down and read. It's something I'd like to do more of. But, like, why zebras don't get ulcers um, and uh, the paleo solution and the go-giver, if you already have a well-rounded idea of training, those three books combined would do a pretty close job of rounding out your knowledge of how to get results, I think, as... Yeah, yeah. You, you, also, you also like uh, Storette's book, don't you? The... Uh, uh, yeah, no, I do. I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, his stuff is incredible. Um, and like, it's not just the mobility stuff in it though. There's so much about just set up and execution of lifts. Um, mm-hmm. His mobility one, YouTube obviously goes without saying. Um, and then the book itself is fantastic. Like you can dig into any page on that and come away with something good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually just I'm sitting here looking at my bookshelf right now. Um, give me two seconds. I'll see what comes out. Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Work Week. Um, did you like? Did you like? I, I, I like. I like the spirit in the book. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember you were you were reading it and you started. I remember on Facebook you started and you were like, "I'm really liking this." And then about halfway through, you're like, "Yeah, my BS meter is slightly going off now." Yeah, and then like I've watched some follow up stuff from him and got some more stuff from him, and he kind of he he freely admits himself. He's like, you know, it's not about working for four hours. It's about the process you need to go through to Get be able it. to work for four hours. Yes, so yeah. systemizing stuff, outsourcing stuff, that sort of jazz. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to just passion and like passion above all else, it's got to be anything by Gary Vaynerchuk or even Zach Evanish. Yeah, so, uh, do you ever listen to Crush It, did you? Or? Yeah, I have, I have Crush It, I have Thank You Economy. That's really um, His Ask Gary V YouTube is incredible. So he does like a 10 minute segment every couple of days where readers ask him questions, they'll tweet in questions and he answers them. Um, but like, he's just so incredibly passionate about everything and he just truly loves what he's doing that you can't help but come away from it going, shit man, I, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. And he's your, he's your type of guy, he's really, you know, just fucking grow a pair of balls, do it, you can do it, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, basically just do the fucking work. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. If, if I was to give people one piece of advice when it comes to training, it's pick a tried and true program, take one that works and it's worked for a lot of people and just do the fucking work. Yeah. It's like you're not a snowflake. Sometimes you just need to get uncomfortable. To, uh, quick, uh, James really has to go now because he's going to, to the gym. But one real quick thing I want to say is one of the funniest things James ever said to me. Oh, no. We were we were in the FINA and a friend of ours, David McKay, we mentioned earlier, he, he, he lives in America and works there and he was home. And was you really- know Dave is um, the, I think it's head fitness coach for the Orlando... MLS team now. He's the head coach now. Whoa. I'm nearly. Um, oh god, I hope I don't get this wrong, but I'm 99 percent sure he got that job a while ago. Yeah. I know. I know he was there, kind of as an assistant. He he could well have got the head. Moment. He was in. He was in Kansas as assistant, and then went on to. Oh right. Orlando. Brilliant. Jesus, yeah. I, I must message him and find out. But when he when he was home last, we were in the FINA. And... Maybe cut that bit if I'm wrong. Yeah, I will. Mean, <laughs> I, 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 I can take it out. I can take it out. But uh, we, we, were, we were in the FINA and we were talking. It was just after I'd done the small off and I was just kind of like, oh, my squat you know, went up and blah, blah, blah. We were chatting away. And I was like, geez, it was a tough... I was, I was saying like the first three sessions, I felt like I was broken, but I just fucking said, right, I'll adapt to it and just keep going. And then you just turn around and said to see, you go, people just fucking are trying to outscience their body all the time they just fucking need to get in and fucking stop being wusses and train fucking hard and, yeah. I, and I was just like so true so true yeah but the outside your body thing is hilarious it's like yeah. I don't give a shit if you're working at 82% or 83% for 6 reps 
just give it a hundred percent fucking effort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just stop it. It's like it's the same reason why Westside has bred so many incredible lifters. Yeah, yeah. Like the training is obviously incredible. There may be like ways to improve upon it. There's ways to improve upon anything. But the thing you can't improve is the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. They just have a bunch of killers. It's the same with, like, let's say the Russian weightlifting system. Yeah. Like, if you don't step up, you've got somebody who's going to step over you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And in most people's lives, that's not there. There's no real crazy heavy desire to get better, or there's no need to get better, so you never push to do it. And as a result, you don't do it, and then you bitch about. Yeah, yeah. It's like fucking Bill, Bill, Bill Burr, a comedian, has this joke, and he's all like, you know, there's too many people in the world, and he's like, 70% of people just need to go out to the ocean and not come back. And then he's like, he has he has this joke where he goes, people should have to audition to keep their jobs so they can, they can stay alive. So it's like you're saying, people don't have that kind of like, you know, the pressure of, well, if you're not going to do it, he, he's going to take your place and go to the Olympics. Yeah. So, yeah, right, James. Uh, we'll we'll have to wrap it there. And um, just where can people find out more about you? We'll definitely have you back on. Uh, best place to go is probably RevolutionFitness.ie. And um, I have an awesome new twenty-two week strength training program up on Revolution.RevolutionFitness.ie forward slash alpha. And um, yeah. I've put my heart and soul into getting that ready. Can, can, maybe I know you're in a real rush. Give that just maybe 30, 40 seconds just to the listeners. Uh, okay. So my biggest passion in the world is getting dudes who are already in pretty good shape even stronger so helping guys who think they've reached a plateau what's through it like I always talk about like the likes of Connor and Steve guys who've been squatting 130 kilos or 120 kilos for a couple of years they think they'll never get past it yeah. and then in 6 months and 8 months we've got them up to like 160, 170 plus yeah. having been stuck for 2 years at a relatively shit number for a grown man yeah. um, so the after strength challenge came out came out of that um, and it's just I, I think it's the most comprehensive online strength training program there is. And mm. um, when you dig into it, you'll see like we have basically everything covered off from you know nutrition, mobility, and um, mobility testing, which you then send to us to check out for you. The actual strength training side of things, and um, weekly prescribed workouts for the 22 weeks, a six-week initial accumulation phase into a test week where you reassess. 12 weeks of accumulation heading towards. Um, intensity, a retest to see where you're at, and then a final realization peaking phase, which over the 22 weeks will probably get you better results than you get in two or three years. Holy shit! On your own. That's that's incredible. And and so do you get all of that. And is there a nutrition advice on it as well? Or yeah, so we start off just like the first 28 days, we're just getting a baseline set, like wow. similar to the precision nutrition model. That's amazing. We move on to a bit of carb cycling, and um, from there, just to help people understand how. You know, matching your energy input to your energy output is important. So obviously being carb heavy on your training days, slightly lower carb on your non-training days. And then we taper on to a flexible dieting approach because ultimately the program is there to educate you about training. Yeah. To get you better at doing your stuff. Yeah. So there's no point having this 100% perfectly clean carb cycling approach because 99% of people won't live that way. Yeah. So they need to understand how you can still have like a 10% slack or a 20% slack once you're a little bit smarter about how you cheat or how you go through the rest of your day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do all the all the coaching via our private Facebook group um, with video feedback from myself. I look over everything daily on it. So people get a really good shake. Um, and then like, you know, it's really simple to sign up. You'll see it on the page, but it's only, like you get the first two weeks free. So if you don't like it, and if you're not blown away, you can just fail out. Oh my god, two are you you're insane. Two weeks free, that's unbelievable. So listen, I mean 
I can't. We we I wish we had another half an hour to get into this and, and discuss more. But listen, we'll, we'll talk about it again, okay? Yeah, let, let's get you back on and we'll talk about the Alpha program. We'll talk maybe a little more about your nutrition. What I really love to talk to you about is how you're getting clients to break habits because that's an area I think a lot of people you're very good at and and people listening could definitely uh, benefit from. And maybe yeah. talk about business. James is like one of the most productive guys you'll ever meet. He's, he's just like always doing just working at some project and the great thing about James is that he just seems to get shit done yeah. so anyway James uh, I'll you, catch up with you soon Robbie yeah you gotta go so uh, listen thanks for being on and I'll wrap up the show here so if you wanna drop out you can go ahead sweet ass hopefully I'll see you uh, next week yeah alright see you, you okay, okay, alright bye bye take care thanks for having me no problem at all okay guys so that was a great show there with Mr. James Hanley I hope you really enjoyed it uh, keep supporting the podcast if you can go to upmentorship.com um, it's one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today you'll get almost 20 hours of world class strength and conditioning information but for me today that's it guys keep uh, giving, leaving reviews on iTunes if you can and I'll talk to you soon so take care and stay strong